You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. Good morning, Redemption Red Deer. It's good it's good to be here this morning. I, I love that you guys are a, a responsive church. It's great. I'm not used to it, so if you trip me up, please uh, have grace for me this morning. Uh, it's been a great week for me. Uh, I was privileged as well to be at the GCC conference with my wife, uh, and what a blessing uh, to sit under the teaching and leadership of those leaders there. Uh, and I just came home on Thursday night just super blessed, fully encouraged and ready to serve. Uh, And then we got home. And uh, I must admit, uh, from that time to this time, things have got significantly worse for me. Um, On Saturday, uh, my coffee machine broke. And uh, that's a big deal in my world. Um, So that was a bit of a hit. And then this morning, my, my wife went to go get the car ready, and we got a nice direct crack right across the front windscreen, which was great. We appreciated that. And then we were, we were rushing to get here this morning. We knew it was a bit of a long drive, so we wanted to leave at 8. And at 8, I realized I had lost my wallet. And uh, so we had to rush back home. And I have to confess to you this morning, in my head, I was thinking, she always moves my stuff. Why does, why does my wife move my stuff? And I, I, in my head, and I think she knew, I blamed her for it. Um, but eventually we said, hey, we got to leave because we got to get out of here. And so she drove. And my wife's an excellent driver, but every time she drives, I realize I'm somewhat of a nervous passenger. So uh, it's been a great morning coming here um, this morning. And, but listen, it's getting better. Uh, this, as I got out to get my Bible and my notes out, I opened the, the trunk, which is what you call it, and there was my wallet where I had put it. <laughs> the world is a fickle place, is it not? Um, just want to mention this morning, uh, the worship was especially good for my soul this morning. So thank you to Josh and the team. I, I really enjoyed that. So I'm excited that we get to turn to something that is not fickle this morning, and that is the Word of God. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord has for us today. We're going to spend some time in the book of Psalms this morning, and that's a good thing. You see, the Psalms have played a significant role in the spiritual and the historical journey of God's people throughout history. The rabbis would often call this book the book of praises. And while each psalm will focus our attention on God, they do it in different ways. The most common type of psalm, you might know, is that of lament. And that helps us see how hurting people have turned to God in times of distress, and they give us examples of how we can do the same. Other psalms focus on thanksgiving, and these are entirely helpful to us when we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on God. Some psalms focus on the enthronement of God or the pilgrimage of God and His people or the royalty of Christ, and some even show us God's wrath and his judgment reserved for his enemies. And three of the Psalms instruct us in God's will, and they're regarded as Psalms of wisdom. 
And it's with conviction this morning that I can say it would be good for you to spend more time in the book of Psalms. And so we're going to turn our attention this morning to one of those Psalms of wisdom, that of Psalm chapter 1. See, Psalm 1 opens the book of Psalms by laying down a simple truth. There's a righteous way to live, and there's a wicked way to live. Listen, if you regard yourself as somewhat of an open-minded, broad person this morning, if you like to examine all the angles of a particular problem before you make a decision, I'm going to need to suggest to you this morning that you may struggle through this sermon. See, I don't have any intention to convince, of you, convince you of anything short of the truth of this scripture this morning. I don't intend to examine any alternatives to the past that this text will reveal. I have no ambition in responding to the objections you may have in your heart. I simply want to put forward the truth of this text. And I'm, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart to achieve that for which He intended it to go forward this morning. See, Psalm 1, in and of itself, doesn't spend any time with proof texts. It doesn't motivate for its content or rationalize the principles it presents. It simply presents truth. And so, we see, we'll see that Psalm 1 offers three comparisons between people who have chosen to walk in the way of the righteous and those who have chosen to embrace the way of the wicked. So this morning I want to show you that the way that you have chosen is based on faith. It develops fruit and it will determine how you finish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know the way of the righteous. You walk with us through trial and suffering. You celebrate our victories and you lament our sufferings with us. And so we praise you for your presence, and we ask that your wisdom will bear fruit in our hearts today. Lord, I pray for those of us who will object to your truth this morning, that we would see the wisdom of your righteous way, and that we turn from our sinful ways and focus one, once more our attentions and our affections upon you. Lord, we don't want to leave here without acknowledging you today. And so I pray that your words will be spoken through this sinful preacher in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get right into it this morning. Turn in, in your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible here this morning, I encourage you to find one. If you would like one uh, brought to you, just raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible this morning, just keep the one that they bring for you. It's really important that you have the Word of God in your hands this morning. Psalm chapter 1 has this to say. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, 
but I are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, your way is decided by faith. It will develop fruit, and it will determine how you finish. Verse 1 and 2 start our text this morning by defining what the wicked way is in comparison to the righteous way. We hear that we are blessed when we don't live like this. And so the definition of the wicked way is presented. Blessed are you when you do not walk in the way, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I want you to notice the progression of the wicked way this morning to walk, stand, and then sit. This is a particular characteristic of the wicked way. It begins with a person walking with conviction in the counsel of the wicked. Listen, in your life and in everybody's life, there's going to come a time where you need to make a decision. And how you make that decision will be governed by what you believe to be the most powerful and helpful guide at that time. There are many options available to you today. The world is full of helpful, powerful people and resources that are only too ready to give you advice in the decisions you need to make about your vocation, your sexuality, your family, your religion, your habits, your carbon footprint, your favorite sports team, anything you like. In fact, when you stack the content available from the world today against the content available from Scripture, Scripture may begin to look a little overly simplistic and perhaps a little narrow. In fact, Scriptures become offensive to most people today because of its simplicity, narrowly suggesting that this is the only way that leads to life. Don't be fooled this morning. Any guide that deviates from the Word of God is ultimately a wicked one. When we embrace a wicked way, we typically start out with purposeful drive towards something other than the Lord. And we probably know or we can think of some people who exemplify this position. They seem really strong. And perhaps they feel strong as well, but ultimately... The progression of the wicked way leads us to a point where we're standing still, surrounded by others who have embraced the same way. And then finally, we found ourselves seated, scoffing at those around us. Perhaps you can think of a few stories of, pe of people who took wicked counsel and it ended poorly for them. From high-powered oil and, oil and gas executives who embraced wealth and power to unfaithful spouses who chased adventure or lying friends or greedy politicians. But listen, this affects all of us in big, emotional, dramatic ways. 
as well as in small, deceptively subtle ways as well. Listen, this even happened to the disciples. In three of the Gospels, we're told the story where Jesus wakes up one day and he says, hey, listen, I'm going out, we're going up a mountain, and I'm taking Peter, James, and John with me. The, the nine other disciples are told, listen, you just stay here, we're heading up the mountain, and they go up the mountain and they experience the transfiguration. And while they're away, a man comes to the other nine disciples and he's looking for Jesus. You see, this man has a rather pressing problem. His son is demon-possessed. And in fact, his son has been demon-possessed for some time. Since childhood, this demon has been in him, and it's tried to throw him into bodies of water or get him into a fire so that he can kill this poor boy. Just, just imagine that problem this morning. This father, his only son, has a demon that's trying to kill him. Imagine the vigilance. Every day he has to make sure that he's watching every moment because the time he may turn his back, that might be the time that this demon prevails in killing his son. This man, oh, he's desperate. He's desperate for help. He needs someone to sort all of this out. And we meet him towards the end of his journey. But when he arrives with the disciples, the disciples give him the bad news. They say, listen, Jesus isn't here right now. Um, but hey, listen, there's nine of us left over. You know, we're still here. And earlier, uh, Jesus had brought the 12 disciples to him, and he, and he gave them the power over demons and the power to heal. And so they say, hey, there's nine of us here. We've, we know demons. We've got this. You know, you, perhaps we don't need to bother Jesus with this particular problem. We've done this before. Let's go see this demon. And so they do. And the disciples begin, and they do everything that they did before. And nothing happens. This stubborn demon is unmoved. And, 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 and they're, they're mystified as to why this isn't working. And it gets a little bit worse. You see, a crowd starts to form. And as, as the disciples fail again and again and again, the, the, the crowd just gets bigger. And eventually, they're just standing there, uncertain what to do. And then it gets even worse. You see some scribes come into the crowd as well, and they start to debate with the disciples, and they start to get involved, and they say, well, maybe you're doing it wrong. Clearly, something is not right here. Perhaps your gifting has deserted you. Perhaps you weren't gifted in the first place, or maybe Jesus isn't all he said he was. And now the disciples are involved in an all-out debate, scoffing at the scribes. And all the while, the Father is no closer to relief. <laughs> and then Jesus arrives. And he says, what are you guys arguing about? And I think the Father is actually quite reserved, and, and, and he's quite respectful when he meets Jesus. And he says, well, listen, here's the problem. 
I've got this only son of mine, he's got this demon in him, and I brought him to your disciples, but they've been unable to help. He's saying, listen, these disciples of yours are probably very well-meaning, good people, but everything they've done from the point I met them to now has been useless to me. It's been quite impressive to see what they're doing, and the, the, the debate they've had with the scribes has been entertaining for some people, but I'm no closer to where I need to be. I still need this demon to be released from me. You can hear the pleading in his voice when he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Finally. Finally, this man who has tried everything to find relief finds himself in front of someone who can actually make a difference. And Jesus uh, rebukes the demon, and he heals his son, and he sends them away in a matter of moments. And later on, the disciples came to Jesus to address the elephant in the room, and they say, hey, why couldn't we get rid of that demon? And Jesus rebukes the disciples, and he says, it's because of your little faith. You see, the disciples in a moment of pride decided to put their trust in the gifting that Jesus had given them. And they no longer kept their faith in Jesus himself. In their pride, they elected to walk in their own counsel, trusting their own strength rather than to trust in the power of Jesus to work through them. We've all chosen ways that we believe will be best for us according to the metrics that we choose to define success. And the, once the world has had its way with us, we find ourselves standing completely still, surrounded by like-minded, broken and disillusioned people, wondering if there was a better way. And finally, if we persist in this way, once we realize how fruitless and frustrating it is, we take our seats and we scoff at those who attempt the same paths that we chose. I tried that. Ah, it doesn't work. I did that, but it wasn't for me. Why are we doing this? Why is she doing that? What's the point of this? I know what she's trying to do, but she's fooling herself. He thinks that's going to make it better, but just wait. I give it six months. See, they don't offer help anymore because they have no answers that add value. Friends, let me make this quite clear this morning. This is what we call sin. The way of the righteous, though, is defined with one simple criteria. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. This may also be translated to say that their delight is in the instruction of the Lord. You see, the righteous way begins with understanding and agreeing that God's way is the best way. And through faith, we agree with Him that His law is what's best for us. His instruction is the best guide, and we purposefully devote ourselves to His way in everything that we do. These people 
are weird. They're inexplainable. There's something about them that just drives them forward in this way. So much is their conviction and love for the Lord that they find themselves day and night in His Word, looking for His direction. Every decision, small or big, comes into the filter of God's Word. Listen, ultimately, what we delight in will become the primary driver of how we live. You see, we make decisions to satisfy our desires. It's how we were designed. We were designed to delight in something. But it is not simply the rules and regulations of God's law that make perfect sense or that His law has provided answers for us in every situation. No, the law is something desirable because it works to reveal someone who is delightful. If we are to have any success in the way of the righteous, we must first delight ourselves in the person whom the law points to, Jesus Christ. How does a person come to delight in Jesus? Yes, it's through spending time in His Word, but there is an important advantage here this morning that we should not ignore. And that is that we are introduced to Jesus only through His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit is a person of Jesus Christ revealed to us. Michael Reeves put it this way. He said, But the Spirit's first work is to set our desires in order, to open our eyes and give us the Father's own relish for His Son and the Son's own enjoyment of the Father. Charles Spurgeon expands on this thought further. He says, It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Let me go to the scripture in one more attempt to illustrate this point for you. Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 26 says this. He says, but when the helper comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. See, in and of ourselves, none of us would choose the righteous way because our sinful nature obscures the beauty of Christ. The way of the righteous begins with a change in your primary desire, which is ultimately a work in your heart. And heart work is God's work. See, as you immerse yourself in God's Word, your desires move from what the world offers at great cost to your soul to what only Christ can offer at great benefit. 
The way of the righteous starts by the Holy Spirit revealing the Son to you through His Word and you agreeing with Him that He is so wonderfully more attractive and worthwhile than all the other false gods that Satan tries to impose upon you. This is how a person comes to delight in the Lord. When we understand how much better Jesus is to all the other kingdoms that the world has to offer, placing our faith in Him becomes an easy decision. You see, where you put your faith will determine which way you choose this morning. This decision, this decision, whom you decide to follow, governs which path you find yourself on today. Are you on the way of the righteous? Or are you on the way of the wicked? This matters this morning. Because the way you decide by faith will develop fruit. Verse 3 and 4 continue our meditation on the righteous and the wicked way. And listen closely to verse 3. He says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. I'm not sure how you feel when you hear those words this morning. Does that wash over you quickly, or did you actually take that moment to listen to what he said? It's a picture of stress-free provision, timely fruit, and effortless prosperity. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The person on the righteous way is the tree planted by streams of water which represent Christ and his love for us and his provision to us. A tree which is planted by streams of water is one that simply stands. Its roots entrench deeply into the water, and from the outside, it seems like very little is happening. And very little can uproot it. Have you ever watched a tree grow? Have you ever walked up closely to a tree and for a few minutes just stared at it? You might be uh, a little disappointed by the lack of action but season after season, that same tree bears fruit. It did nothing differently, but you know that in season, fruit's coming. You've never seen a dry or withered leaf on it. It's become a pillar of strength, a comforting fixture in the garden. It never fails. The people who walk in the righteous way live like this because they are continuously refreshed by Christ. They know what his love feels like, and they know that Christ will not fail them. Jesus never gets tired, and he gives them what they need with liberal and extravagant measure. In all that the righteous man does, he prospers. The first time I read that sentence, my prosperity gospel protection sprang into place. Everything that he does, in all that he puts his hand to. Are we serious here? Are you also perhaps uncomfortable with a verse that somewhat leans toward a false gospel that has damaged so many? The health and wealth principle has led many to ruin and wrecked many a well-intentioned Christian. 
Are you, like me, uncomfortable with this statement this morning? Don't make the same mistake I made in my original study of this text. You see, what I immediately did was hold this scripture up and contrast it with my own experience. See, I've never met a person who has prospered in everything that he or she does. I've, I'm yet to find a person who proves that this scripture is true. And I was tempted at the original glance to play this off as sort of an Old Testament habit of using uh, extremes to illustrate their point. But we can't take something defiled like my own life experience and hold it up against something which is pure in the hopes of discovering truth. The truth is simple. The righteous prosper in everything that they do. I can say with conviction this morning that that is true. The problem is the metric. When you think of a righteous man prospering, you may associate that with the prosperity that the world has to offer. But the metrics of prosperity for the person on the righteous way are set correctly. Listen, all of it, all of it, money, power, fame, all of it pales in comparison to the joy of knowing Jesus and sharing in His glory. Do you want to see the metrics of a righteous man? Colossians 3, 3 verse 1 to 4 puts it in this way. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. It's Jesus. That's the prize that you're pursuing. In that day, when Jesus comes back, none of us will have in mind what is currently driving you today. Listen, no one's going to care on that day that you managed to reach an early retirement on that day, nobody is interested in the fact that you drive a Mercedes-Benz or a Honda Fit. Nobody's going to be interested in any opinion except his. See, prosperity in the righteous way means that we see what he wants us to do, and we do it. And every time, every time, every time, when we walk faithfully in what He's calling us to do, we prosper with Him. By God's grace, He uses us to further His kingdom. And when the Lord finds a man or a woman whose heart is firmly fixed on Him, fruit abounds. It's refreshing. It's predictable. It brings enormous blessing. And it never fails. The wicked are not so. 
but are like chaff that the wind drives away. See, chaff is the dry, scaly, protective covering on the seeds of cereal grains. It serves to protect grain until such a time that the grain is ready for harvest, and at that point, it's no longer useful. For time, chaff and grain are somewhat indistinguishable, but at the time of harvest, the difference becomes plain. See, it takes time for grain to mature and become fully developed. In the same time, chaff is also developed. But in the end, the chaff is completely useless, and it's easily removed and discarded. Chaff is the fruit developed by those who walk a wicked way. Churches around the world are filled with well-meaning people who have embraced a wicked path. Please, this morning, don't examine your friends. Don't examine your spouse, your relatives, or your peers. I'm asking you this morning, which way are you on? If you've embraced a wicked way, my warning to you this morning is that it will end bitterly for you. See, the world is riddled with stories of powerful men who built mighty kingdoms of chaff, and they are no longer remembered. They are no longer powerful, and like chaff that has been swept away, they've disappeared. My exhortation to you this morning is to stop wasting time growing chaff. If you find that you are on the wicked way, building kingdoms that Jesus had no intention for you to build, then know that all of it will one day be swept away. And on the day that your chaff is swept away, it will come down in a great heap around you. And it will offer you no comfort, no salvation, and no hope. See, the wicked way is characterized by deceptive, and debilitating fruit, frustrating hardship, and constant pressure. If you have embraced the wicked way this morning, my greatest hope for you is that the day comes soon where your chaff will be blown away from you. Listen, rather that your kingdom on this earth is removed while you have the chance to repent, then your kingdom delivers you to death's door completely ill-equipped for what will face each of us as our lives draw to a conclusion. You see, our way is decided by faith. It develops fruit, and it will determine how we finish. Our final comparison this morning prevents the finish line with clarity. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You see, both the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous will deliver us to judgment. And though not explicitly stated in this text, we know that the judge will be God himself. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 13, describes that day as follows. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. 
and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Those books will detail every lie, every failing, every fault, every sin, great and small. Every time we embrace the wicked way, it's recorded in those books. And on that day, those books get opened before everyone, and everything becomes known. Over the last few weeks, I, I work downtown Calgary, I'm an engineer, and over the last few weeks around the coffee table, I've heard this statement many times. Somebody will just say, man, the world just seems to be falling apart at the moment. Uh, coming out of COVID lockdowns and inflation concerns and healthcare breakdowns and political carnage, look, Canada just seems to be reeling at the moment. And if we consider the absolute evil playing out before our eyes in the Ukraine and Russia and Israel and the Gaza Strip, we tend to sit back numbly sometimes and wonder what is going on. Christian, turn your eyes away from the hell that is playing out before you and focus them on the only one who is able to do something about it. Every transgression, everyone will be judged by God. That's who God is. He isn't simply a loving Father who gives a whole pass, ignoring the sins and the absolute evil that we see spewed out in front of us. No, He intends to deal fiercely with the sins of everyone. Every wrong action, every incorrect step, and those who walk in the way of the wicked will one day come face to face with God who opposes them. What's happening in the world today? God's moving. He's moving and He's even using these horrific stories to draw people to Himself and to draw near to those who need Him. Listen, God's got plans, and they will not be disrupted, and nothing will be hidden from His sight. In the end, we will have our justice, and it will be complete. You can trust Him for this. He will judge everyone, and so you don't need to. These books also record every victory, every fruit, every good work, every sacrifice, and each time we show love and compassion, it's noted. Every time we grow fruit and walk in the righteous way, it gets written down. And on that day, those books get opened. This is what verse 6 means when it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word knows implies an ongoing knowledge obtained through experience. Speaking about someone who learns through perception and discernment. 
See, God sees everything, and He is constantly looking for those who will turn their hearts toward Him. He doesn't simply have a cold understanding of what the righteous way is. He has an intimate knowledge of your life and your story as you walk it before Him. On that day, when we are all judged according to what was recorded about our lives, ultimately we will find that each of us will fail the metrics to fulfill God's law. If on the merits of our own actions, then none of us will prevail the judgment on that day. But perhaps the more pressing question we should ask this morning is, what's in that second book, that book of life that he refers to? You see, as each of us fail the requirements of God's law and find ourselves relegated to the camp of the wicked, the book of life will elevate a few to the camp of the righteous. This book will have in it recorded all who have taken the very first step to enter the way of the righteous, faith in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Faith in Christ is the starting point of the way of the righteous. And as we delight in the law of God, it points us resolutely to Christ. The fruit we grow from the wicked way will fail you, and only that which was generated from the stream of Christ will sustain you. To get your name into the book of life, you must enter through Him who gives life, Jesus Christ. This is the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. I'll conclude this morning with the exhortation Jesus gave His disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. He said this, He said, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's many ways to cross that finish line, but narrow is the way that leads us to the kingdom of heaven. My hope and the hope of God Himself this morning is that everyone will be saved and escape the judgment that waits for us. And the greatest tragedy of this message is the fact that only a few will find the way of the righteous and be saved from that day. I won't lie to you this morning. The way of the righteous is not easy. In fact, it's downright difficult. It means you need to drag yourself your dirty, sinful, selfish self into the light, exposing your sin and submitting yourself to Jesus, trusting that He is sufficient to deal with you and the mess that you've made of yourself. Friends, allow me to advocate for Christ this morning. It really is that simple. Jesus is worth the effort 
And once you get to see him, you will find that he is wonderful. He's kind. He's generous. He's sufficient. And he is delightful. The life that you're looking for cannot be found on the way of the wicked. Though for a time you may be fooled to think so, Jesus is the way of the righteous. And he is standing ready to accept you today. Please, please, accept him with haste and begin the journey on the way of the righteous. Some of you need to make that first step this morning. And you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If that's you today, then I want to encourage you to come forward after the service and speak with me or perhaps speak with Pastor Chris or someone here who can lead you to Christ. Listen, you've already done the hard part. You've found yourselves a good church. Now let us start to walk with you as you walk in the way of the righteous. Others here may already be saved, but in recent times you've moved away from this good path and onto the way of the wicked again. Perhaps the world has become too attractive for you, and you've developed some kind of secret sin, and it's keeping you rooted in the way of the wicked. Know that there is no secret that will not one day be made public, and that the fruit you are currently developing is a waste of time and effort. My advice to you would be to quickly pursue relationships that help you drag yourself back onto the way of the righteous so that you can once again prosper in all that God has called you to do. Let's bring life and light back into your life so that we can help you set aside the burdens of the wicked way and run forward in the way of the righteous and be fruitful. You see, your way is decided by faith. It will develop fruit and it determines how you finish. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those who are sitting in these seats today who recognize all of a sudden that the path that they find themselves on is a wicked one. May you bring them quickly to the point of, of repentance. May you remove shame from them and restore them as children of God, hidden in you with minds set upon you. May your spirit show us the face of Christ and may it turn into people who live in delight of you. May the fruit we bear be effortless, eternal, rewarding, and prosperous. Lord, in the day we stand in judgment, may we stand with many who have walked in the way of righteousness with endurance, knowing that we will appear with you in glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.